It's not like any other podcast. Coming to you straight from Eastern Iowa, where apartment ownership and investing is told like it is. It's time for Darren Garman's Apartment Specialist Podcast. Hold on, because here comes the next episode of the Apartment Specialist Podcast. Hello, everybody. How are you doing today? Darren Garman here, and we have a lot to cover today. We've got... um, we're going to talk about TNI. Uh, I didn't say TNA, by the way. I said TNI. We're going to talk about TNI. Uh, we're going to talk about. Um, we're going to have a couple of Q and As based on some emails uh, and uh, yeah, some emails that I got. We're going to talk about that a little bit, and then we're going to talk about some training coming up. Some training I think you're going to want to be involved in and. Uh, uh, and tune into, and that's going to be coming up here uh, later on this month. But let's go ahead and let's talk about TNI first. Let's jump in with TNI. Uh, when I find a lot of apartment apartment owners and multifamily owners do not do is they do not pay enough attention to TNI. Okay. So what's what's TNI? What am I talking about? First, let's talk about the T. And let me. I did not get. I'm going to step over here. Okay, here is the T part of it right here, what I'm referring to, and it's all of this. What is this? These are all property tax protest forms, valuation protests. And I probably got here about 24, 25. Right here, property tax protest forms. What's a protest form, Darren? What are you talking about? Well, what happens is the city or county tax assessor where you live uh, will, will assess your property a value. Based on that value is what your property taxes are ultimately based on, or that's how they figure how much property taxes you will pay on your apartment property. So here in Iowa, uh, the tax assessor a couple times a year goes out and goes through their process of assessing the properties and how much they're worth and then puts a value on them and then based on that value then is your property taxes that's how your property taxes are figured based on that value so bottom line is higher the value higher the property taxes at the end of the day okay so again I went through you know, I got 20, I got 20 plus of these that we're fighting. So what happens is you'll get the assessment in the mail. And so I'll pull one out just to show you here. Let me see. Um, here's one right here. So here's one on a property right here that I'm going to show that to you right there. Get that over there. You see what I got circled there? They're, they've raised the assessment to $926,000 and some change. It was last year $857,000. I'm going to try to get that right there. Eight fifty-seven. You see that there, $857,000? Um, and they raised it to nine twenty-six. dollars All right, so you get these forms in the mail. And if you didn't really see it, it doesn't really matter. Um, you get these forms in the mail and say, hey, guess what? Your assessment's going up, in this case, 50 grand, right? Um, actually, a bit more than that, like 70 grand, right? Isn't that 70,000? Do the math on that, 926 and 850, yeah, 70 grand. 
So it's going up $70,000 in one year. Okay, well, so what that means is next year my property taxes will go up approximately on that property $2,800 or so using Iowa's tax rates. So $2,800. So $2,800 taken away from the bottom line. You capitalize that, let's just use 10% because that's an easy number to use, even though it would be lower. I mean, I am now looking at my property value going down, in this example, about $30,000. Okay? So it's not a matter of $2,800 on um, you know, a million dollar property. $2,800 in cash flow here is only $200 what, 220 bucks a month, something like that? I mean, that's not that big of a deal if you think about it that way, but it is a big deal, okay? It is a big deal. So it's not about the 220 you're losing in income that would go to higher taxes, right? That'd be higher taxes there. I'm gonna get rid of this red marker, I don't like it. Um, that'd be your higher taxes there, okay? So you got 220 a month more coming out because my taxes are going up, right? That's part of it. Takes the income out of my pocket, my partner's pockets. Sure. But here's where the rubber meets the road. $30,000 is where my bottom line is affected if I don't do anything. So what is it that I do? Claw, fight, work my butt off in order to get done? Keep our taxes as low as we can, period, okay, period. So let me tell you what happens out there in the marketplace and what you'll see um, more often than not. Here's what you'll see when it comes to this kind of stuff. Okay, so we're gonna just keep the taxes and insurance thing here because it's important, right? So just on that one property, we could be looking at $30,000 reduction in value unless I do something. Okay, so here's what I would do, okay? One thing I could do is I could protest the taxes, which I'm doing right now, right? Protest the taxes. So I go in there and I say, hey, look, $70,000, you can't raise it $70,000. Here's the three reasons why you can't raise it $70,000 and you're not justified raising it $70,000. And so we need to talk about, we need to have some back and forth about reducing that, okay? And, of course, I start at the current value, and that's where I'm at. They're going to start where they're at, and a lot of times we'll meet sometime, we'll meet somewhere in between there. And, by the way, most of the time I meet closer to my number, not theirs. Because I go in there armed with information that shows them pretty much how they're making a mistake. Okay, now, I'm not successful like that every single time, but most times I am. So I save my partners in income and uh, property value, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year by doing this, just by protesting taxes. Okay, now I don't, you know, I'm, I don't do all of the legwork and put all the documents together. I've got folks that do all that, obviously. But when it comes time to meet with these people, I'm the guy that's meeting with them. Okay, because we're talking, again, hundreds of thousands of dollars of value just on that one thing. Now, let me ask you a question. How many uh, apartment property or income property gurus 
uh, have you looked at or listened to that has said anything about this? Anything. Maybe a mention, maybe from one per one or another, but you don't hear this kind of stuff. But this is where the daily rubber meets the road in making as much money as you can for multifamily real estate and apartment communities, is to work on this kind of stuff. All right? So a lot of people like to work on one thing, right? Raise rent, okay? When we take over, when we own it, our goal this year is always raising rents. And by the way, it's a good goal. We work our butts off on that too, as part of a plan and working through all of those things, okay? So whenever you listen to a presentation, um, you're considering a property yourself, maybe you want to buy it and run it and manage it yourself, or you want to get involved in a partnership of some kind, this will always come up. I talk about this all the time too, especially if it's realistic, right? If we can realistically get more rents than what the current owner's getting, well, we're gonna do it. But this is not where the buck stops here. That's just part of the process, okay? So at the end of the day, you want to make sure that if you're buying your own apartment community, small building, doesn't matter, large building, doesn't matter, you are thinking about T&I, right now we're talking about taxes. How are you going to handle them? What are you going to do? And then here's the other thing you need to understand. So let's say you're buying a building that has a tax value of $900,000. You're looking at buying a building yourself or maybe your partnership that you're going to be involved in or your syndication, whatever, is looking at buying a building with a tax value, like a TV here, tax value of $900,000. Okay? Right? But... Let's say you're going to pay a million four for the building. And a million four is what, it, what it's worth, what it appraised for, what its value is. Okay, so this, you're, this isn't anything that this isn't a, um, it's not like you're overpaying. This is what it's worth. But look how much higher it is than what the tax assessed value is. Right? So as part of your pro forma, you better be thinking about what? That's right. Your freaking taxes going up. That's right, because there's no way any city or county tax assessor in their right mind is going to see a property that they've got assessed at $900,000 that has sold for $500,000 more and not raised the taxes. I see too many investors, especially more the beginning investors. What they'll do, and by the way, just as a little aside, I'm going to be having a training here at the end of the month on how to get into your next apartment property, whether it's your first or whether it's your next apartment property in the next 60 days. And this is going to be some of the stuff we're going to talk about, okay, when we're looking at doing our analysis. Okay, so that training is going to happen here towards the end of the month, more to come on that. All right, but anyway, you've got a $500,000 spread here. And, you know, budgets are always... Budgets, especially when it comes to municipalities, they're always screwing something up, so they always need money. It's a never-ending story. So they're going to go after that money. You better have that factored in right up front. Okay? You don't want to have a surprise tax bill a year later. It's like, holy shit, my taxes went up $100,000. You don't want that. 
right? So you need to factor that in up front, okay? All right, so big deal there. And usually the biggest expense you will pay with most apartment communities, not all, depending on where you live or what community you buy or where it's located, but most of the time, taxes will be the top number, the biggest expense you'll have. All right? So that's T for taxes. So right there by working on that, I'm just going to put 30000 over here that we're looking at working on and recouping on just that one property. We've got many, but just that one. So now let's talk about I. You probably already guessed what I is. I is insurance. That's right. Insurance. Now, you don't have as big of a difference in coverages and premiums as you used to with insurance companies. And I'm talking um, companies that spend most of their time or they've got a specialty in covering apartment communities and multifamily real estate. So most, not all, but most of the companies you see advertised on TV, you know, with the little lizard guy, the little salamander guy, um, uh, and, and others like that, they're not the people you want to be getting in touch with to get your multifamily property insurance because that's not the area they work. They're mainly consumer retail insurance people. So there are specific companies that you can approach, and this is what they do. Okay, we insure apartment buildings. That's what we do, and that's what we spend a lot of time on, insuring apartment buildings. So when I'm talking to you now about insurance premiums, what you can expect, and where you can find cost savings and what you can be thinking about as you're looking at this, it's talking about those kinds of companies, okay? All right. So, um, you're going to have your choice of um, <clears throat> either a, um, uh, an independent insurance company, okay? And that's where most of your coverages are going to be found is with independent insurers. Okay, or others, and others would be like the state farms of the world. You know, they have agents. So State Farm has insurance agents that sell State Farm insurance. Independent insurance companies have independent insurance agents that sell their insurance, and they can sell their insurance or any other company's insurance. Not any, but most any other company's insurance. Whereas if it's State Farm, it's like Geico, somebody like that, a lot of times they've got their own insurance agents that sell for them. You follow me? So you're going to find nine times out of ten, not all times, but nine times out of ten, this is where your coverage is going to be is with the independent, okay, with the independents, uh, insurance agents to get your coverage, okay? So again, most of the people you see on the TV commercials are not who you're going to be contacting or getting your insurance from. Why do I tell you all that up front? Because some of these companies, and I'm not picking on State Farm, okay, some of those companies you see on TV all the time. So Liberty Mutual, we'll call it, we'll say Liberty. I'm not picking on them, but I'm just telling you that would be a company that more than likely you're not going to get any coverage from, and if you do, the premiums are going to be unbelievably higher. Okay, unbelievably higher. So, 
more often than not, you're going to have independent insurance coverage. So, now that you know that, the question then becomes really one of what kind of coverage are you going to have. And by the way, if you have a policy in place right now, you're an apartment property owner, you own your own properties, you run your own, or even if you're a partner in a project, this is a question you need to ask your manager that runs your partnership, okay? Uh, or if you have your own property, you want to double check that this is the case. Because you have two types of coverage. You have replacement cost, okay? And you have actual cash value, okay? Big difference, huge difference. A lot of people don't know what kind of coverage they've got. And it costs them big time. So what is replacement cost? Basically what it says. Building burns down, tornado wipes it out, the insurance replaces the coverage, the coverage replaces the building to be rebuilt. Okay? Replaces the building. Cash value though only pays a percentage of the loss based on what they call depreciation. Okay? So an example would be, let's say tornado rips half of a building out and the damages of, to the building are a million dollars. Well, what a cash value policy does is it says, okay, the damage is a million, but we're going to depreciate how old the roof was, the furnaces, the floor covering, blah, blah, blah. Since we depreciated all that, we're, at the end of the day, we're going to minus $400,000 for depreciation, and we're going to cover $600,000 of this loss. Okay, um, $600,000 of the loss. So, why would anybody do that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the premiums are a lot lower, but why someone would do that, I'm not sure. Okay, because it's, it's a hell of a lot of risk. I mean, why would you, because most insurance losses are partial. They're not whole thing. So, in other words, if we own, like one of the properties we own is 168 units comprised of 11 buildings. Odds are, if we have a loss, a significant loss, it's not going to happen to all 11 buildings. Fire, flood, something like that. So, so again, why would anybody have that actual cash value coverage? Now, before I said, I don't know, because it really only covers any partial losses is really what it does. But, you know, the premiums are a lot less, and there's some speculation. You've taken on more risk, and you're basically covering, hopefully if there's a huge, huge loss, you at least have part of it covered, and maybe you're self-insured some other place. Because some people are self-insured, you know. So some people are self-insured, and there are some people that don't even really carry much insurance on any of their assets, um, multifamily assets. There are some that don't. Uh, but that's probably the reason. But at the end of the day, where I'm going with this, whether it's partial, whether it's cash value, or replacement cost, you have the issue of premiums, right? Premiums. So let me give you the top three tips on making sure you get the lowest premium you can. Okay. Um, number one. Pretty self-explanatory, but I'm going to start with it. You need to shop around. All right? So you need to call a minimum of five insurance agents 
to get a quote on what it will cost to insure your property. Now, this is especially true for those of you who are guilty right now of not getting updated insurance cost estimates in years. So those of you that manage partnerships right now that own properties, when's the last time you did a survey on what your insurance cost is and what it should be? Those of you that are looking at buying your own property, when's the last time you did this? Uh, if you own your own property right now, rather. But if you're going to buy your own property, you got to do that. And if you're part of a partnership, it's a question to ask the manager. How often do we do this? Because there, even though the premium differences aren't as big, I mean, there, there was a time where I remember when we looked at buying, well, we bought it. We bought a 60-unit project. We had premiums from $17,000 to $38,000 for the exact same coverage. Different companies. 17 to 38. So what if we would not have shopped around? Right? So, shop around. Number two. Find agents that specialize in this. Okay? Okay, again, if you are getting your homeowner's insurance from Joe at um, one of the big national insurance companies, he more than likely is not your guy that's going to cover your 168-unit apartment property or your 12-unit apartment property for that matter. Um, he may not be a bad person to get an estimate from, if he can do that. But you want to find agents that specialize in this. Okay? How do you do that? Three ways. Number one, you ask other landlords, ask other apartment owners, ask apartment owners, managers, syndicators. You ask them. Who do you use? Who are you using? Who did you use on your last project? What have you found? Who have you found that gives you the best results? Okay? And they'll give you a company or a name of somebody to contact. Okay, another one is lenders. Make no mistake, when you get to the closing table, if for some reason you have forgotten your insurance coverage, the lender's not going to close. Uh, by the way, I've been at some of those closings, not that I forgot about it, but in the brokerage business, with our real estate brokerage business, when we work with people that buy apartment buildings all the time, a lot of times what we found is... They forgot their insurance. Totally spaced it off. Even though we give them reminders, get your insurance, get your insurance, have you got your insurance? They show up at closing, I forgot my insurance. Okay, so, but bottom line is lenders are very, very interested in insurance coverage. Why? Because they have more of the investment in it than the owner does, typically. Okay, insurance, so lenders are number one, number two. So number one would be owners, managers, Okay, number two would be lenders, all right, and then number three. Number three would be your local real estate or landlords association. Um, real estate investment group, real estate investment um, mastermind you might be involved in, uh, real estate uh, get-together group, whatever and your local real estate association, investment or apartment association. Ask around there, okay? 
you're going to find it's going to come down to like four or five people. Okay, four or five people. And uh, when you start asking people about this, one of the key questions you want to ask is, well, how often do you look around do your, for insurance? How often are you repricing your insurance just to get a feel for what's going on? And I'm talking about managers and owners that own their own property right now. If the answer is, well, we haven't done it in 10 years, you don't take their opinion. Goodbye. I mean, you cross them off the list. If it's somebody that's like, yeah, about every year, year and a half, two years, we do that, then, yeah, you want to listen to them. Okay? So, number one, shop around. Number two, find agents that specialize in this. Then number three, let's see here. I'll put number three right here. Number three, you want to think about your deductible and what your coverages are. Okay, I'm going to go A, deductible, B, coverages. Okay, so let's talk about deductible for a second. Every insurance policy has a deductible. The higher the deductible that you use or you go with, the lower your premium will be. Okay, the lower your premium will be. And so what we like to do with ours, and this is just with most of ours, is we'll have anywhere between a 5 and a 10K deductible per building on our assets. Okay, so we will get replacement cost. I'll just circle that. We'll get replacement cost, okay, five to $10,000 deductible on each one, and we feel pretty comfortable with that from a risk standpoint. Okay, so there's an up there. If the whole building is destroyed, we pay $10,000 and maybe a little more, and that's it. Okay, big liability claim, you know, once again, the deductible. Um, and we do that for replacement cost. Okay, you can actually go higher than that, or you can go lower than that. I'm just telling you what we do. But again, you can find some significant differences based on the deductible. So when you're pricing this or repricing it, you want to be pricing based on different deductibles. Okay? $2,500, $5,000, $10,000, Okay? Now, what you'll find is when you do this, you can save an average of anywhere from maybe, depending on the size of the property, I'm just going to say 300 to maybe 400 a month, depending on size of property. Smaller properties are going to be anywhere from 50 to $200 a month, okay? I'll get back to those numbers here in just a little bit, okay? So, coverages, coverages, B. When you're looking at coverages, you want to decline the coverages that you don't need. A lot of companies will throw in coverages that you really don't need or aren't worth the premiums, okay? There's a long list of them, a long list. So you wanna make sure you go through those line by line and make sure that what that coverage is really applies to you. Because a lot of times they'll just throw that stuff in there uh, just because it's part of the package. And if you say, I don't want that, they can take it out and they can lower your premium, okay? So make sure you look at the coverages, okay, the coverages. Now, related to that, you also wanna make sure, depending on the age of your building, you have a coverage called ordinance and law. And I'm getting away from this a little bit, but it's important. Ordinance and law. So what ordinance and law coverage is, is it's basically if the building burns down or something happens and they have to go in and redo things, especially with utility hookups, 
that are now to today's building code. Okay? Now it's obvious that with replacement cost coverage, 99% of everything would still be covered if their building codes are different today than when the property was built in, let's say, 1990. All right? So a lot of times you're covered, but there are some exclusions to this. Okay? Some exclusions to this. Here's one thing you got to know about the exclusions. And this is the case with every policy. Now, not a lot of people know this, so this is why I'm telling you. Number one is asbestos. Asbestos removal. You will not find a company that will cover asbestos removal. So when you buy an older property that may have asbestos, your coverage is probably not going to cover that. Plan on it. Okay? And there are other city requirements that may be city or county, municipality requirements that may not be covered. So you want to check your ordinance and law coverage. All right? So where am I going with all this? Okay? Your premiums, depending on deductibles, you want to make sure that you're not overcovered on things. Okay? I talked to you a little bit about that. And so you want to shop around, find agents that specialize in it. Here's how you find those agents that specialize in it. At the end of the day, here's what this adds up to in savings for you. Okay? On savings for you. So on a, I'm just going to say a 48 unit property, you're going to save about $2,600 to $3,200 a month. Excuse me, a year. All right? On average. Now, depending on where your market is, a 48 unit property where you live may be $5 million. A 48 property where I live may be half that. So, I mean, give me a little leeway with this, but that's not my point. The point is, if I do everything that I just mentioned to you, and I do it consistently, I'm going to save in monthly premiums, I'm going to save a year probably around that much. Again, that's not that much money, is it? Yes, it is. Because I'm now adding to the bottom line $30,000 in additional value just by doing this. Now, how many times do owners and managers put money into property in remodeling, in new this, new furniture, new fixtures, whatever, to squeeze out an additional $30,000 in value? Quite a bit, right? Well, if we do this, you know, we'll raise our value about $30,000, $50,000. Really? Well, you probably need to get higher rents, which is going to take, you know, probably 6 to 12 months to get because you got to wait for those units to turn over. you got to let everything get put in place and let the residents get used to whatever changes you're making. You're going to have some issues up front. Maybe some things break down right away. Maybe there's some glitches here or there. So really, you can go that way, or you can go through the process I just described in two days, and you can make another $30,000. So, to come full circle here, insurance, thirty grand. Taxes, 30 grand. So by doing what I just talked about here, going through this exercise, as a manager or an owner or a partner, you can add another $60,000 to $100,000, depending on the size of the property, in value to the bottom line. Now here's the cool thing. 
How much money have I spent in improvements on the property to get that? How much money have I spent in rent raises, in evicting tenants to get new tenants back in, in turnover costs? Zero. Zero. Okay. So a lot of people get wrapped up in raising rents, and they should. Income's super important. It's the lifeblood of any apartment community, right? But you, what, the other thing that you have to make sure you do is you need to work on some of those expense items, especially the higher expense items, like taxes and insurance, and doing it consistently. And it'll add, and, and by the way, that was just one property. Just think if you had five or six of those, 10 of those, 20 of those, 30 of those. You do the math? Um, I talked to a guy last night at a meeting I was at. He used to be a manager of a McDonald's years and years ago, back in the day, okay? He was telling me the at the time, while he worked at McDonald's, the big uproar was on their filet of fish sandwiches, they changed their cheese from a full slice to a half slice of cheese. Okay, so cheese went from full to half slice. And if you've gotten a filet of fish sometime in the last few years, you've noticed that. Okay? Well, once half slice of cheese ain't that much money. But when you have millions of restaurants, do the math, right? You've just doubled the cheese. Right? So that's kind of the case here with what I'm talking about. Alright? Um, so let's go ahead and let's get into a little Q&A. Now before I do that, if you have any questions on tax stuff, insurance stuff, anything I've gone over, I would love to hear from you. Um, would love to hear from you and get your comments about it. Because this is something that you don't hear talked about very much, especially by a lot of the so-called gurus out there. Not, this isn't a conversation you have very often. Um, but you can see how important it can be and you see how much money you can put in your pocket and at the end of the day there's not a lot of time, effort, or energy or capital spent on doing it, right? So any questions on that, let me know. All right, so let's go over a couple of Q&A items that I have here from you guys. I get questions all the time, and um, I love answering those questions. And when I get a question more than once, you know, three, four, five times, especially over a short time period, I'm going to mention it, okay? I'm going to bring it up. So the first one's kind of a fun one, actually. So the first question is, on Garmin blog, Darren, that's Garmin blog, many of you have been to my blog page. I get this question actually quite a bit. On Garmin blog, there's a, there's a picture on the homepage of a young man that's a wrestler holding up his arm and pointing to his arm like this. So if you've not seen it, you need to go to Garmin blog and check it out. But many of you have been there and you've seen it because I get emails about it. And so, you know, having a young man that's a wrestler pointing to his arm really doesn't have a lot, a lot to do with real estate, does it? Apartments, investment property, multifamily property, really has nothing to do with it, does it? Um, and so I get the question, what's going on? Why is this, what's the deal with that? Uh, well, that young man is my son and uh, his name is Isaiah, and uh, that's a real special picture for me, uh, and that's why I got it there. 
because it's super special because uh, that happened. Uh, so I'll, I'll paint the scene for you here. So he's, um, he's at the district wrestling meet. So if you win this meet in your weight class, you go to state and you wrestle in the state wrestling tournament. And in Iowa, wrestling's a big deal, okay? So, um, so we go to the district meet, which is at another high school, and it's the host high school, and it's the kid that goes to that host high school that he's wrestling. Uh, he wrestles, he wrestled at uh, 220 pounds, okay? And so uh, we noticed, which was kind of interesting, we noticed through the day of the tournament, you know, they start with the lighter weights. Um, you know, they start at uh, 106, and then they go to 113, and then, you know, they go all the way up to heavyweight. And heavyweight is 285 or less, okay? So um, all of the meet, all of the wrestling matches that the home school had took place right in front of their home fans. So these fans, when we walked into the gym before the tournament started, um, you got to picture this. Imagine hometown home, hometowners. They had a corner of the gym already packed. I think they stayed overnight and slept there. Okay, so I mean packed, stands full of people, nowhere, nowhere to really sit. So you had to sit you know, way over here, way over there because they had this section packed. Well, good for them. You know, they're there to support their kids. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. It was just kind of weird. To see every match, I shouldn't say every, but most every match happened to get moved over to the mat right in front of this crowd that would be screaming and yelling at their kids. So my son Isaiah's match comes up and it's, of course, moved over to the mat in front of the fans. And it's just effing pandemonium. I mean, screaming, yelling, and the match is close, it's back and forth. The fans are screaming and yelling at him and just giving him a hard time while he's wrestling, wrestling this kid from their school. And so, um, uh, you know, finally towards the end of the match, it's back and forth, and Isaiah makes a final move to score, and then he ends up winning the match. Okay? And it was just awesome because he won the match, He's going to state, and he did it right in front of all of these screaming fans of the other school who are now yelling and jeering and booing him after he won this match. So what he decides to do, and a friend of ours got this picture, is he lifted up his arm as he uh, won the match, and he pointed to um, tattoo on his arm of my uh, of my initials, and. Uh, looked at me up in the stands and pointed to that and uh, uh, to uh, show me that he uh, um, that he did it. He pointed to my initials under his arm that he had tattooed when he when he did that. So uh, so that's pretty special uh, uh, special picture, especially for a dad to uh, uh, see that and uh, and have that. So anyway, um, so that's number one. So that's question number one. That's what that is. That's basically my. Uh, my son winning the match and going on and wrestling at the state tournament. And that is something, as a father, um, under those circumstances, and if you're a dad, you can relate to everything I'm saying. If you're a mom, you can too. But that picture's going up. All right. So so there's number one. All right, number two, real estate. Um, 
How many apartment projects do you end up buying a year? And what is your criteria? And that is from, uh, I'm not going to pronounce this right, um, Jason Stabolic, Stabolic, I believe, Jason Stabolic. Um, so, uh, so how many projects do we buy a year and what's our criteria? So we'll go through, we'll buy anywhere from two to 12 projects a year. Okay, and this will be either our fund will buy them or we may put individual project investors to buy. So sometimes our real estate fund, which we've got you know, a couple hundred partners in that, will buy these. But once in a while, the fund won't buy a property for a long list of reasons, okay? Um, there's a long list of reasons why a fund may not buy a property. It's not because it's a bad property either. There may be just things going on with the fund in terms of where the capital is being placed. Maybe we're closing on another project. There's a bunch of stuff going on. So individual projects can come up that the fund just is not going to participate or buy. Okay, so with individual projects, so the last individual project we closed recently was on a 24-unit project um, that we bought individually. So we had a partnership put together, a group of us bought it, own it, it's actually doing really, really well. So individual or fund where, you know, we own about $40 million worth of real estate. So either one of these will buy the 2 to 12 projects. So you might be saying, geez, Darren, two, that's not very many. Well, here's the deal. I'm kind of like um, uh, Warren Buffett in a way, and not that, I'm not saying I'm Warren Buffett, by the way, but I'm kind of like him in this regard. If we don't see anything that's worth buying, we're better off not buying anything. You know, so if you look at Buffett's track record, I mean, he'll buy stuff that he thinks there's value, then he'll go a long time and not buy anything just because he hasn't found anything to buy, right? So you're better off not buying something and waiting for a good project and buying the wrong into the wrong one just for the sake of buying another project. So that's the way we look at that. So anywhere from two to 12 properties a year is what we'll have. And so many of our investors will be involved either in the fund or they may be involved in the individual project or they may be involved in both. We have a number of investors that are also fund investors, but they also say, hey, Darren, when you have an individual project come up too, I might want to be involved in that, okay? Um, so, criteria. What's our criteria? I'll tell you what we don't do. That's probably easier, because what we do do is could be a long story. Here's the properties that we don't buy. We don't buy converted properties, number one. So converted properties are, it used to be a warehouse. They converted, now it's 40 apartments. We don't get into those. Um, a converted property may be, it was originally built as a four, as a three-story, four-bedroom Victorian home. It was converted to 20 sleeping rooms 15 years ago. We don't buy those. So anything that is not originally constructed as an apartment property, we avoid. <clears throat> we avoid. We do not buy those. <clears throat> Number two, we don't buy in super small communities. Or I like to call it small towns. We don't buy in small towns. Okay, so if there's a small town that is five miles away from, let's say, Des Moines, Iowa, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, fine, we'll definitely look at that. 
but if it's a town with a population of 5,000 people and the closest city is over an hour away, no way, we're not going to do it. Because economically, you're on really rocky ground if things don't go well in those communities. Okay? And I'm not, I'm not talking about Iowa necessarily, it's really anywhere. You know? So we stay away from small communities. All right? <clears throat> and the third thing we stay away from, which is a huge surprise to people, is new construction. New construction. We have, I have investors ask me this all the time. Hey, do you, do you build anything? Um, are you looking at building something this year? A lot of our partners, hey, are we, can we build a property this year? No, we're not. We're not buying new construction. We're not building new construction. Why in the hell are we not? I'll just give it to you in a nutshell. Why would we spend $150,000 per unit to build a new property? This is about what it would cost us now if we built a typical two-bedroom property, um, $150,000 a unit. Why would we do that when we can buy a two-bedroom unit that's 20 years old for $50,000 a unit? Why would we do that? You're not going to get the appreciation here. You're really telling me if this comes out of the ground at $150,000, it's going to be worth two fifty dollars in five years? Really, not going to happen. However, this could easily be worth sixty, sixty-five, seventy thousand dollars later, right? And I don't have to come out of the ground hoping I lease every damn unit to make my debt service payments because my construction cost is so damn high versus that. And there's a few other reasons too. Okay, so we stay away from new construction. We stay away from small communities. I mean, really, really, really small communities and we stay away from convert housing, okay? That's our, uh, that's our criteria. And so I wanted to cover at least those two questions and those two items um, that I've received at least over the last couple of weeks quite a bit on. We talked about T&I, we've gone over Q&A, and then the last thing I'll mention to you is keep in mind we have training coming up. Training will be coming up here towards the end of the month, and our training is going to be how to buy your next or your first apartment investment in 60 days. Okay, in the next 60 days, how to do it. How to get out there, buy your first or your next apartment property in the next 60 days. And this is where either whether you're an active investor, okay, you want to be a landlord, active owner, you want to hire a property manager maybe and do all that, you want to be kind of involved, or you want to be passive. We'll talk about how to do both of those, okay, and the tools you need to do to be successful at it. All right, take care, have a great day, have a great rest of your week, and, um, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, we'll see you later. Bye-bye. for joining the apartment specialist podcast for investment questions comments or to get in touch with darren go to www.heartlandinvestmentrealestate.com